Edmund Burke and Mahatma Gandhi are two thinkers separated in time and place. Both come to political theory with an idea of moral integrity always in view. In this conversation, Uday Mehta and I explore the deep relationship between the rhetoric, writing, and spiritual exercises of these two men, thinkers who in the midst of politics asked the ethical question, who am I and what am I prepared to stand for? Hey everyone, welcome to Beaconsfield Podcast. It's my great honor today to be speaking with Professor Uday Mehta. He's a brilliantly original thinker who I'm very much excited to be speaking with about Edmund Burke and Mahatma Gandhi. He's Distinguished Professor of Political Theory at the Graduate Center, City University, New York. He's the author of two books, The Anxiety of Freedom, Imagination and Individuality in the Political Thought of John Locke, and Liberalism and Empire, a book that frames Edmund Burke, the alleged founder of modern conservatism, as the 18th century's most formidable and impressive critic of empire. And he's currently working on a book on Gandhi with a forthcoming title, A Different Vision, Gandhi's Critique of Political Rationality. Uday, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jack. So Uday, one of the things that's always drawn me to your work is that you think about great leaders as thinkers. You are interested in those thinkers who find themselves in the midst of politics on the battlefield, having Mm -hmm. to think about morality and action in a way that will actually have consequences. So it would be wonderful to speak with you today about the relationship between the thought of Edmund Burke and Mahatma Gandhi as two thinkers caught up like Arjuna on the battlefield, trying Mm -hmm. to work out how to be and act morally. And so perhaps we can start with something you've been recently thinking about, which is the project of self-knowledge. So my first question is, how did the project of self-knowledge unite Burke and Gandhi as thinkers on the battlefield, thinking in the midst of politics? What was the project of self-knowledge and why did it matter to them as philosophers in action, if you like? So uh, you're right, you're right. Um, uh, I think uh, Burke and uh, Gandhi share this. Um, uh, is concerned with morality in the midst of action. Um, uh, even though uh, uh, Burke never read Gandhi, uh, I, I, I think Gandhi must have read Burke. Um, mm. um, and I, I think what uh, unifies them in this concern with self-knowledge is that uh, they are hesitant um, to let morality assume an abstract form. Uh, so, uh, so morality from, for them um, is something that has to vindicate itself in the midst of action. Uh, and uh, so uh, I've written somewhere that you know, both that Gandhi is not a principal thinker. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and the reason why he's not a principal thinker is because principles have to be abstract. And I don't think Gandhi has abstract principles, mm. unless one thinks of self-knowledge as an abstract principle. But, you know, it, it's, it's not typically thought of as a moral principle. Um, um, and I think um, similarly uh, uh, for Burke, Burke thinks that you have to prove yourself in the midst of action. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, a, a, as you must know, uh, uh, there's this famous passage in um, uh, reflections um, where he says um, for some people circumstances don't count for anything uh, uh, for me they count for everything <laughs> um, um, and uh, I think uh, uh, that's a sentiment uh, Gandhi would have agreed with um, mm. 
so he he thinks I think um, that uh, uh, personal vigilance uh, or personal discipline uh, is the point of entry into ethics and politics. Mm. Uh, so, Do you so, think that, yeah? I mean, so, so uh, both strike me, Burke and Gandhi, as having a certain kind of resistance to instrumental forms of thought. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he, uh, 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 I mean, he famously says, uh, I don't know if it's famous, but um, he says things like, um, uh, we Indians um, should not demand of the British anything that, uh, such as independence, uh, because we want to consider them as friends. Mm. And uh, the point of friendship, uh, according to Gandhi, is that it must give unconditional support to the person you want to be friends with. Mm. Uh, so he, he doesn't think um, friendship can be, uh, you can't ask for something in re return of friendship. So I mean, one way of putting that is friendship can't be a contractual agreement because in contracts, you're typically asking for something. And it's reasonless as well, right? And that's, you talk about that. It's very interesting because what comes to mind immediately when you say the word contract is Burke. You know, Burke's speaking about a social contract across from past to present to future, but it's more of a covenant. It's less rational. And yes. it comes back to this notion that of principles in both, in the work of both thinkers. It's interesting because when people are reading Burke, you know, particularly that phrase, you know, circumstances give distinguishing color, discriminating effect to every action. There are two ways of reading him. Some people read him purely as a circumstantial thinker. Mm -hmm. And then some in the United States particularly have read him as purely a principal thinker. Yes. And what I find interesting about Edmund is that he's both. Yes. And it's the question of how do I work out which actions need be moral, need be intrinsic when I'm caught up in the dense medium Mm -hmm. of politics is the yeah. question that Burke grapples with his entire life. And yes. it's very interesting that you mention unconditional love or friendship on the part of Gandhi, because it seems to me, Ude, that, and we'll get into this a bit more, but it seems to me that Burke is the more strategic thinker of the two in the sense that Gandhi is concerned purely with the moral realm and with self-discipline as to what it does for an individual in the project of self-knowledge. Yes, Burke yes. is also interested in that work, mm -hmm. but there's this extra element where he's more of a politician than Gandhi. And there are times when you can see him playing with rhetoric, playing with ideas, whether it be Guildhall, Conciliation, Fox East India Bill, in a yeah. way that Gandhi doesn't do. Not to say that Gandhi doesn't have the ability to do so. He absolutely does. But yeah. what do you think of that, Edmund being slightly more of a politician or a political thinker than, than Gandhi? Uh, I'm glad you asked that question. I mean, what I take to be um, the single most important thing that Gandhi ever said um, is... Uh, Towards the beginning of his autobiography, he says um, something to the effect, um, what I have sought to do these past 30 years is to see God face mm. to face, to 
to attain moksha. Uh, and all my actions these past 30 years, my, all my actions in the public sphere have been for this purpose, right? which later in the paragraph he explicitly calls a spiritual purpose. Uh, and so what's significant about that passage is not only does he mention the priority that this spiritual purpose has for him, uh, he makes it clear that that purpose, that all of his public actions are subsidiary to that purpose. Hmm. So, I mean, I take that as indicating uh, politics is not his priority. Um, another example uh, I can think of um, is that um, in Hind Swaraj, um, he makes it explicit that independence is not his point, his purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, political independence is not his purpose. Uh, I mean, nationalists like Savarkar uh, always, I think they read him right. Uh, he was not a nationalist. Uh, 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 I mean, th th there are various parts of Hind Swaraj where he's, he says what these other people want most. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, quote I especially like. Um, uh, it's something to the effect uh, that uh, what these other people uh, want to replace the tiger with um, is uh, what these other people want is to replace the tiger with another tiger hmm. without changing the nature of the tiger. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, that's how he I, thinks of nationalists um, as they want to just assume the role of the yeah. colonizer. Uh, and uh, he, the, he thinks um, that's not what he wants. He wants a deeper critique of modern civilization. Mm. It's fascinating because, you know, if I can go back to my last point, now I've changed my mind <laughs> because that is what Burke is doing too, is it not? Yes. Isn't Burke going for a deep critique of yes. imperial civilization as it has expressed its, itself in that point in time? Perhaps Uday then, if they're both concerned with, in the midst of politics, asking ethical questions and trying to penetrate mm -hmm. to these deeper questions about who I am and what yeah. I will allow myself to do. And we'll talk a bit more about that question on behalf of the nation in a moment. But perhaps the difference between Burke and Gandhi then is one is concerned in an explicitly spiritual form of enlightenment, Moksh, mm -hmm. Gandhi, mm -hmm. given his tradition and his scripture that is the vocabulary, if you like, Rorty style, through which he comes to these questions. Mm -hmm. Whereas Burke, I wouldn't think of Burke as a Christian thinker. I would think of Burke as a something more of a, it's not the right word in this context, but of a humanist, you know, with someone with a deep commitment to human nature yeah. as a kind of reasonless thing of codified by social grace and, and manners and et cetera, but something that has an inherent dignity too. Like, for example, in the Hastings impeachment, the final charge is in the name of human nature itself. That, for me, and I think for David Bromwich, too, is the kind of primordial commitment that Burke has. Would you say that that is the difference between the two, then, that one is concerned with this conception of self-realization mm -hmm. through discipline, and the other is concerned with asking the deeper moral questions of human beings? They're not so different, but one is to see the face of God and the other is to see a human face, if you like. Yes, uh, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, the thinker who I think um, is closest to Burke is Levinas, mm. uh, because he emphasizes uh, the face yeah. uh, as the ground of morality. 
uh, I think um, uh, let me come back to what I think is uh, central to Burke, which is Burke, like Gandhi, is, I think, a brilliant psychologist. Mm. What, what, what worries Burke um, is the distortions that the empire has brought. The distortions that the empire is bringing to the English. It's distorting their society. Um, so he says somewhere, um, um, uh, he's speaking in parliament and uh, um, he says to his fellow parliamentarians, um, um, what you don't realize is that uh, the, 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 the phrase he uses, these young boys um, uh, who uh, are not mature in their, uh, in their capacities. Those are the boys you're sending to the empire. Hmm. And they're learning something there. And they bring that back to England. And they, they marry into your families. Um, and hence, hmm. they distort the social structure of England. Hmm. Uh, uh, is it the delinquents of India of India have become the commons of Great Britain? That's yes, the phrase yes, you're referring to. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, um, uh, so, um, uh, any case, um, another passage uh, I can think of is. Um, I think this is in the Guildhall speech um, mm. where he uh, refers to the vices of the poor mm. have become uh, 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 the, the, the poor have assumed the vices of kings. Yeah. Um, 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 and he links that with the spirit of domination. So what domination does is it inverts uh, mm. the ordinary moral psychology of people. Mm. So the poor are behaving like kings. Uh, uh, and he doesn't like that. Um, he doesn't approve of that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, do you understand what I'm trying Absolutely. to say? Absolutely. So it's the reason he doesn't like it is because it undoes the moral integrity of people. And, and this, is, this is what's so interesting. I mean, you have the phrase in one of your lectures, you write, I quote, how one behaves towards outsiders cannot but affect how one comes to see and understand oneself, close quote. And this is the very, very interesting maneuver mm -hmm. that relates Burke and Gandhi and probably Abraham Lincoln Mm -hmm. And Dr. King as well. And, and that is that I myself am molded and modified by what I do to others. What I find fundamental in my own dignity can and will be displaced by my mistreatment of others. It's right. It's, yeah. This is the notion of the moral imagination, that there is this kind of language, this, this kind of set of scriptures that connect you and I. And if yeah. I fail to treat you in a way that accords with my own best yeah. self, with my own yeah. highest principles, yeah. I lose myself. And that to me, Uday, is, is the moral essence at the heart of Edmund Burke's thinking. It's extremely rare because you have this Irishman standing up in the English parliament trying to make the case that the English are not living up to their own best selves, that they are betraying their nature as a people of rectitude and restraint in yeah. raping and pillaging in India. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what the boys, you know, the young boys who govern there without society are. They are yeah. the, the archetype of that 
English boy who goes mm-hmm. over to the empire and yeah. then loses his sense of Englishness. And, and yes. that's what Burke's worried about. It's going to come home and undo everything yes. valuable about his choice of inheritance at home. And yes. that you know why that's so interesting? And because as you raised in your lectures, Gandhi does the exact same thing. Like yes. if I can just read out a, a section from the final pages of Hinsuwaraj. So he goes, yeah. quote, you English who have come to India are not mm-hmm. a good specimen of the English nation, nor can we, almost half anglicized Indians, be considered a good specimen of the real Indian nation. If the English nation were to know all you have done, it would oppose many of your actions, close mm-hmm. quote. And to me, that is a Burkean passage. Burke could have written that himself, and it might indicate that Gandhi had read him there. But that's about moral integrity, right? That's about yes. becoming yes. undone by what one does to others. And yes. this is... Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. And... Uh, yeah. uh, and that passage ends with, um, uh, for us the, uh, Indians and for you, the Brits, to have a healthy relationship in which we treat each other as equals. Mm. We have to root that relationship in our scriptures. And the word our is crucial. What we have to do is go back to our scriptures. Uh, And then alone can we engage each other as human beings. Mm. Uh, So, um, I mean, that's how I read the passage, that what's crucial about that passage is that it talks about self-betrayal, Mm. And it co- talks about how to get rid of self-betrayal and finally how to treat the other. It's only through overcoming self-betrayal that you can treat the other yeah. as an equal. Uh, so, you know, he doesn't talk about power. He doesn't talk about inequality. He doesn't talk about uh, uh economic power or abuse of power. So, uh, I mean, I think that's striking, you know. So his conception of the empire is that it is not good for the moral hygiene of either the English nor the Indians. <laughs> and it's, it's so fascinating because that, there's a humility at the heart of that on both of Burke and, and Gandhi's part. And that says... You know, you mentioned before that you studied with with Richard Rorty. I guess the way to say that is that for both of them, these scriptures are but vocabularies. But but they're but ways of speaking about, or they're just ways of asking the ethical questions in the midst of politics. They're the language of those questions. And that's whether it's the English tradition of liberal restraint or the Indian tradition of self-realization. And I think what Gandhi's realizing in that notion that one must come to the project of conciliation through overcoming self-betrayal is that both him and Burke, if you like, just have different ways of speaking about human nature. And, and this is something I wanted to ask you. It was, though, most, though both are moral and, and, and spiritual thinkers, mm-hmm. and Burke is too, yeah. they seem always grounded in a project of human integrity. It, mm-hmm. They seem to me, both of these thinkers, to be men made for another time, perhaps for another world, who mm-hmm. felt this kind of deep need to hold on to who they were yes. in the dense medium. And at the heart of that is, is this belief that there is something redeemable about mm-hmm. the state that they are in. And if we think about the context in which both of these men lived and worked and led, that is an amazing thing. Do you think, Uday, that both Burke and Gandhi are reformers who believe mm-hmm. in the capacity for change by preserving and improving rather than radically upending because they see something redeemable about the social and political state they are in. Because this is another link between the two of them. They're both conservationist, not conservative conservationist. What do, you, what do you think? So let me give you an example. I agree with you. I agree with you. So... Uh, 
there is this um, interchange between um, uh, Gandhi and Ambedkar. Uh, Ambedkar mm. uh, was the famous uh, um, untouchable intellectual who uh, was trained as a lawyer. He got two PhDs, one at Columbia, one at LSE. Uh, he was brilliant. He was studied just, with Dewey, didn't he? Was with Dewey? Yes, he yeah. studied with Dewey. Um, and um, so he writes this work, Annihilation of Caste. Uh, I think it's in 1934, uh, in which he says, he makes the following argument. Untouchability is crucial to Hinduism. And Hinduism relies on the caste system. Or, or let me restate that. The caste system is crucial to Hinduism. Mm. Untouchability is crucial to the caste system. Therefore, untouchability can only be reformed by getting rid of Hinduism. Gandhi disagrees with that. Mm. And he disagrees with that, uh, not because... Uh, he disagrees with the notion of untouchability. Hmm. But he disagrees with the notion that Hinduism should be abolished. And the reason why he opposes untouchability is because within Hinduism, they're not treated as Hindus, uh, not treated as human beings. But Hinduism can be reformed without abolishing it. Hmm. So the way this links with your point is that, as you, you use the very good word, they're both conservationists and they're both anti-revolutionary. And, and I think the reason for them being anti-revolutionary is because they both think that revolutions destroy the integrity of people. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, uh, Burke, I think it's in um, uh, reflections, though it could be in further reflections, um, says the real France is not, it's different than the France of today. So there's a, there is a contrast between the real France mm. and the France that the Jacobins uh, are asserting is France. So he is pointing to this contrast mm. between the real and the apparent. Mm. Uh, and he's saying this contrast uh, is the product of re revolution. And this contract, uh, contrast makes people lose their integrity. Mm. Uh, uh, and uh, I think uh, Gandhi thinks similarly. Uh, mm. uh, let me come back to one important thing. Mm. If you ask the question, um, why does Gandhi emphasize um, overcoming the fear of death? Mm. Here's what I think. I think modern politics, in the English tradition at least, is anchored in the notion that one must overcome the fear of death. And the only way we can do that is through politics. Mm. Gandhi thinks we must invite death. That's why I emphasize courage is the central notion in Gandhi. What makes us courageous? Certain acts of non-instrumental behavior. Mm. So things like spinning, 
things like celibacy, things like silence. Uh, these are the things which Gandhi identifies as having no product. And these are the very things he emphasizes. Why? Because these are the things through which you lose your fear of death. Because he sees courage as the commitment to die for what one believes. Yes. And in, in making that commitment, that very real commitment, as you say in your writings in 1919, when he's asking people to sign the Satyagraha pledge, he's saying, I'd rather have one person who makes this commitment with the full integrity of their moral being than mm -hmm. many thousands who could yes. design and run a protest movement because he's concerned, as you said, not with the political outcome of independence, but with trying to remind the Indian people of who they are by going back to their yes. scripture. And it's, yes. I want to come back to courage in a moment, but just on this scriptural point, why do both Burke and Gandhi think that scriptures matter? Why is it that old ideas or old conceptions of who one is based upon their history matter to Edmund Burke and Mahatma Gandhi? What's the moral psychological thinking behind, behind that assumption? Because if that assumption is incorrect, then the whole project of self-knowledge, rhetoric and reform is going to be ineffective. So why is it, why is it the right insight? I think it is. I just... I, I want to understand why they think that. I think um, why they think that is that uh, for both, religion is the language <clears throat> of self-exploration. Mm. Uh, and self-understanding. Uh, so if you start from the proposition that what uh, is important to both Burke and to Gandhi is self-realization. And then you go on to ask the question, through what can I achieve self-realization? I think the answer for both of them is through a certain kind of religious language. Mm. Why religious language? I think um, because that's what they think or that's what they take to be the route to self-realization. Now, they could be wrong about that. No. Uh, uh, so, uh, as I've written somewhere, it's the grammar of mm. uh, interiority. Mm. Uh, uh, Religion is the grammar of interiority. Uh, so uh, somewhere Gandhi says, uh, I don't believe in that an atheist can actually exist. And he's not saying that I don't believe that somebody cannot, that you can't believe in the non-existence of God. I think what he's saying is even the atheist functions within uh, uh, what Wittgenstein would have called a language game. Mm. So religion is the language game in which we navigate ourselves. Mm. And or, or, or a different way of putting it, for some people, religion is tied to a belief in God. Mm. I don't think it's for Gandhi. Because he's concerned with the interior space of the inner life. Yes, and he thinks access to that is through religion. But yeah. he doesn't believe that that conception of religion requires believing in God. Mm. So, so in, in the passage I referred to from yeah. the beginning of the autobiography, he says, what I want to achieve 
из мукш. But it's not safety. Mm. It's not um, avoiding death. It's mm. a form of freedom. Mm. What does that what does that courage then look like on Burke's side of things? Is Burke like if I can read out two passages that I, I came across in reading the work i noticed that when you're talking about gandhi's conception of civil action and his conception of courage you know he says it's much quote better that people say openly what they have in their hearts without fear of consequences and enforce the dictates of their own conscience close quote than either live this untruth or in this state of untruth mm-hmm. and burke in the guildhall speech and i think guildhall is uh, i think it's 1780 around that yes, I think I think he's just I think he's just lost the he's about to lose Bristol or not recontest um, and he says to his constituents as their representative quote I did not obey your instructions no I conformed to the instructions of truth and nature and maintained your interest against your opinions with a constancy that became me yes quote. yes um, and that's one of my favorite passages from Burke um, mm. and it Precisely because of how it ends. Constancy that became me. Yeah. Uh, uh, I will not self-betray. It's a, that's about reaffirming yes. and reclaiming moral integrity. Yes. And that's also why he thinks um, democracy has to be rescued from the idea of representation. Mm. Why? Because representation uh, can allow you to be false to yourself in a way in which um, in Burke's conception of democracy, What makes democracy valuable is Mm. if it makes you care about yourself. Mm. Uh, That's the wardrobe of the moral imagination, the language that permits us to do that. Yes, yes. It's fascinating, Uday, because, I mean, I wrote my honours thesis on Burke's approach to institutional reform in India, And I drew a lot on on your work and David's to to help me do that. Mm -hmm. And I've, you know, I probably thought of him then as an institutional thinker. And I don't think he is now that I've come to think about it more. He's um, far more concerned, like Gandhi, with the interiority of the inner life and with the way that scripture slash institutions developed on the basis of that scripture, though customarily and organically, can Mm -hmm. come to inform the way we reach in into ourselves. And that for me is the interesting thing about courage for Burke. If he finds himself standing up for mm. his real inheritance, and mm. we should note that for Burke, it's a choice of inheritance. Unlike Gandhi, Burke comes to another nation and he finds yeah. something in their scriptures worth, worth yeah. believing in and standing for to the extent that he does so more than those who are naturally English. Yeah. But the reason I ask this question is, For Burke, the project of courage seems to be about what leaders do, what a man like Burke does to stand up for the founding ideals of a place mm-hmm. and to, tr- to try and remind a people who they are through rhetoric. Whereas for Gandhi, he seems to be more demanding more of individual ordinary people. It's not enough for Gandhi like Burke mm-hmm. as it is to be a representative who does this on behalf of people. Gandhi wants everyone to do this. Yes, yes. And he wants and people he, to be heroes. Is that, is that correct? Is Tagore's criticism I mean, correct? I, I'm not sure I would agree with the word mm. uh, heroes. Um, mm. um, 
Um, I mean, look, uh, I think of heroes as um, people who are recognized as heroes. Mm. Um, so heroes is, mm, for me, it's a public category. In that sense, I don't think Gandhi is concerned with that. Mm. Uh, he is concerned, as we've been talking, about a certain kind of interior integrity, being true to oneself. Mm. Um, uh, uh, now, I think um, what that turns on for Gandhi is a certain kind of uh, uh, ability for self-mortification. Mm. So, in, in, uh, uh, so, In one of the articles I sent you, um, I talk about um, uh, why does Gandhi insist um, on uh, recruiting mm. people in India to go and fight in the First World War. And my understanding of that is that um, Indians have to prove themselves as not caring, not having self-preservation as their highest value. They have to be prepared to die for what they believe in. Mm. And even if that is fighting for the enemy. Mm. So, I mean, uh, on this issue, um, Gandhi lost a lot of friends. Um, uh, I mean, he, he, he was criticized by you know, C.F. Andrews, uh, um, uh, who said, you know, how can you ask people to fight? How can you ask people to go to war? And I think Gandhi's answer was, that's the only way they can develop this integrity, their selfhood. Uh, 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 so, What's the relationship between that and heroism? I don't think it's direct. Fascinating because it's 1918 or 1919 and 1918. Yeah. It, it, uh, Gandhi thinks that one has to have the capacity for destruction and the desire for destruction mm -hmm. in order to properly overcome it and affirm one's own, own moral integrity. It's not enough for the chances of political circumstance to make it out so that non-violence is an option for you. You need to make the conscious decision and commitment to overcome mm -hmm. the lower angels of your nature in pursuit yes. of self-realization. Yes. And that's fascinating today because in some ways, the prospect of moral failure is integral to both Burke and Gandhi's thinking because they have to believe that human beings can and will fail Mm -hmm. live up to their own expectations in order to try and be the bridge between that lower and higher self. And, and, and that's where they see their rhetoric, probably Burke more so, hitting the point. C could we bring this into the realm of rhetoric? Because we've been, we've been speaking about moral integrity, I think, from the perspective of individual people. I might be incorrect in that. But number one, to what extent does the analogy between self-integrity on the behalf of an individual 
carry through to the integrity of a people mm-hmm. or of a nation. And if that integrity is marred and, dis- and, dis- and uh, dismantled and undone on behalf of the collective, what's the role of rhetoric in connecting up that gap between where people are and who they want to be? So, uh, uh, Burke often talks about um, the British nation has to be true to itself. Uh, And uh, I think what he means by that is We have to, we the British, have to be true to um, our mm. selfhood. Um, uh, and he has a conception of selfhood. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, um, it's located in the British link with its own past. Mm. Uh, And in that sense, uh, he's different from Burke, from Gandhi. Mm. Um, uh, Gandhi's conception of national selfhood to the extent that he is a nationalist. And, you know, as I've said, I don't think he is a nationalist, um, but he cares about this other category, uh, civilization. Mm. Uh, I don't think um, this may be one of the differences between the two. Uh, I don't find in Gandhi this idea of the nation being true to itself. Yeah. Uh, Which is a a rhetoric uh, that is very much part of Burke's way of thinking. Hmm. So, you know, um, a central argument uh, in uh, in Burke's uh, uh, conciliation with America's speech is the Americans have developed a sense of themselves as a people. And therefore, we should let them have that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think um, Mm. Uh, so, so, so uh, to back to step back. So, uh, part of a central component of Burke's anti-imperialism mm. is that the empire violates people's collective sense of who they are. Mm. I don't think you find that kind of argument Mm. in Gandhi. Mm. Um, His, uh, Gandhi's anti-imperialism comes from the fact that the empire, to repeat myself, destroys the possibility of the moral hygiene of the people, Mm. whether it's the imperialist or uh, the, the 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 community that faces the the imperial power, mm. he doesn't think that um, that's got an issue. That's mm. that issue is linked to um, uh, the domination of two people, um, yeah. uh, uh, while. Uh, Burke does think uh, that the people 
a community must be true to itself, mm. that it should not distort another community that has a sense of itself, mm. uh, and that the only way that that distortion can happen is through various kinds of power, mm. commercial power, political power, you know. Um, so do you see the contrast that I'm... I'm I do, yes. So, so if I can just try and reconstruct it. So Gandhi thinks about things in purely moral terms that see it as a question of two people and who they are to each other. And there is something atemporal about that relationship because it's a moral relationship. And if I can pull in your references to Kant that you make in your writings, you know, the notion of Kant's attitude to enlightenment or enlightenment mm -hmm. being an attitude, the courage to think for oneself, yeah, that's yeah. the way that I see Gandhi thinking about imperial relations. They're attitudinal, they're atemporal. They yes, are yes. about who we are to each other yes, in moral yes. terms. Whereas yes. for Burke, it's still that question, though it's couched in this pre-establish contexture of history, custom, and identity. And it's a question of who we are in relation to our past, our customs, our values, our ideals, our place, which is something that you emphasize in liberalism and empire. And okay. so it seems to me that to ask who, is, who are we as a nation, you know, is to think historically yes. and is to think circumstantially in a way that Gandhi would never think as an attitudinal, atemporal, moral yes. thinker. Is that, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. You've put it better than I have. <laughs> in, in terms of rhetoric then, because one of, one of the amazing articles that you sent through to me, it's amazing because in that, in that piece you articulate everything I've been trying to think through for the last <laughs> year. Um, you start off by writing about rhetoric mm -hmm. and what rhetoric is. And, and you say that there was distinction, this distinction in the classical world between the kind of platonic style of thinking that was correspondence based that sought to, as Rorty has, you know, built up that critique. Yeah. Then there was the kind of Aristotelian approach, which sought through rhetoric to draw upon extant circumstances, sentiments, attitudes, views, beliefs, ideals, and to rework them through mm -hmm. language towards a and new habit. And through habit. And through habit. Yeah. yeah. And, to, and yeah. to rework them, to try and bring a people with you on the journey of reminding them of who they are. Yes. Why, you know, when I think of Edmund Burke, I don't think of him as a philosopher. I don't think of him as a statesman. I think of him as a political writer of mm -hmm. the highest order. Yeah. yeah. Because he's, he's dealing in that rhetorical move. Why is rhetoric useful for the project of self-knowledge? Why is rhetoric the most effective medium, perhaps, for asking those ethical questions in the midst of politics, for trying to affect moral integrity, bind it up, Uh, I, I, I'm tempted to say, and I say this, I think I say this in my piece on rhetoric, is that rhetoric is a form of uh, making something internal through habit. So rhetoric has mm. a very close relationship to habit, um, in my view, uh, and I think in Aristotle's view too. Uh, I think um, that for Gandhi, uh, the corresponding notion is doing something over and over again, such as spinning, mm. such as silence, or such as uh, uh, celibacy. Uh, you know, these are products that don't, these are actions that don't have a product. 
in a uh, way yeah. that um, rhetoric has this product mm. of consolidating the self. So it, it's it's like think of it this way. Um, yeah. Every religion I know of. asks the believer to repeat prayers. Hmm. So in Hinduism, you know, the priest tells you, uh, say this prayer a hundred times. Uh, or in Christianity, they say, you know, when you go to confession, you know, the uh, priest often says, repeat the Lord's prayer so many times. Now, if you ask the question, why are they asking you to do the same thing so many times? Uh, I think the answer is because uh, they are concerned with changing your internal self. Mm. Uh, so, so it's not. So, what would the contrast be? The contrast would be is uh, something like mathematics, where once you know that two plus two equals four, you don't have to do that particular sum again. So, mm. you know, if uh, a math teacher was to say, um, multiply two plus two 18 times, you'd say, why? Uh, at least that's what I would say. Um, uh, but if a priest was to say, repeat the Lord's Prayer 36 times, you wouldn't want to ask the mm. cognitive question. Mm. Um, I've understood the Lord's Prayer. Why do I have to say it so many times? Mm. Mm. Uh, so the, the contrast, I, I think, between certain kinds of knowledge is if you say if you learn it once you've gotten it got it hmm. the contrast with other kinds of knowledge is that you have to repeat that hmm. uh, to create the internal effect that you wanted to create yeah and that's where mm. there is an analogy with spinning. I mean, you, you every turn of the charka is identical to the one preceding it. So why do you have to do it so many times? Uh, I think the answer is because Gandhi has a conception mm. of interiority, of um, uh, I mean, it's it's analogous to the notion of patience. You you just cannot. The effect of patience is tied to time. Mm. Uh, so at various points in in Swaraj and other places, Gandhi emphasizes patience, and. His interlocutor in Hind Swaraj says, why do I need to have patience? Um, and Gandhi's answer, even though he doesn't say it explicitly, he says, I think he believes that patience is the thing through which you will get to know yourself. Hmm. I've always asked my question, Uday. I've always asked myself the question, why does Burke, after after he gives the first speech, you know, first opening four speeches, the Hastings impeachment, and he knows that the rules of lower courts are going to be applied and the thing's not going to work out, mm -hmm. why does he choose to go on for another seven slash eight years? And it's patience because it brings me back to Gandhi's thinking about the Gita. <laughs> I went and read Gandhi's commentary this week, and you know, the central idea in that is one must do things because that is one's duty, yes. right? A kshatriya to a kshatriya, you know, to, to act. Yes. 
And you have to do so without looking to the fruitful consequences of those actions. You do so as Arjuna comes to realize from the guidance of, of Lord Krishna, because in acting, in doing your duty, yeah. in rising up, you affirm your own integrity. You do yes. unto your habit. And yes. that is what Burke is doing in the Hastings impeachment. It's, it explains a lot of his, of his noblest moments, whether it be Guildhall or whether it be his speeches on India. He's doing what Gandhi is doing with the spinning. He's trying to say that morality needs to be a part of the quotidian day-to-day experience of life. Mm-hmm. And that in every single moment, I choose who I am and what I will allow myself to do mm-hmm. and what I will stand for. And I do that regardless of the strategic or political consequences because of what it does to me, of what it says about me. And he doesn't yes. mean that in a colloquial sense. He means that they both mean that in the deepest yes. sense, at yes. the yes. deepest level yes. of reality. Yes. And uh, I mean, the, the one... I'm repeating myself. I think Burke is more concerned with what a nation has to do for itself mm. than what Gandhi, then Gandhi thinks that you cannot think in terms of nations. Mm. It's mm. always individualism. Mm. Mm. And uh, I think this is a significant contrast between them. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, I don't think Gandhi finds the question, what is India? Very interesting. Mm. In fact, he's asked this question several times. Mm. And... Uh, Uh, Whereas Nehru would, right? That's a Nehru yes, way of thinking. Yes, so yes. the discovery of India. Yes, Gandhi wouldn't yes. write that book. Yes, Gandhi would not write that book. So <laughs> his answer to the question, what is India, is there is India in the Middle East. There is India in South Africa. There is mm. India in East Africa. And that's not the question. Yeah. So he's answering the question. He's 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 changing the topic. Mm. He's answering the question, what are Indians? Yes. And I I don't think Burke would change the topic. He Mm. has a a good answer to the question, Mm. what is Britain? Yeah. At the same time, you know, there's that that phrase that you finish your your paper on Burke on, and it's from Guildhall, and he says, you know, if I am not, if I did not act in the way that I am acting, I would not be an Englishman. I would not be a Whig. Yes. And then basically he ends with the phrase, I, something like, I would not be a man. And, yes. and, you know, so he walks you through the concentric yes. circles, the little platoons back to this yes. kind of grander, capacious category of man, yes. him or herself, as, 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 a, as you use that phrase. That's your phrase. Yeah. And I've always thought that Burke cares about, who Britain or what Britain is, these kinds of grand national questions, because he sees them as the purview by which to get to that interiority. And he realizes that if he doesn't speak in this language, quite frankly, people are not going to listen. It's not going to tug on the heartstrings modified by scripture and ingratiated by habit. But, you know, it comes back to that final charge of the Hastings impeachment. Once again, he moves in that impeachment from what Hastings has done to dismay the parliament, then the nation's laws, then the Indian people, and then human nature itself. It's a it's a gradual walk back to humanity through yes. Yes. through yes. the experiences that form and shape it. And in that sense, my so, and, so if I can interrupt, so yeah. what Hastings has done on Burke's account is he has betrayed what it means to be an Englishman. Mm. what it means to be a human. Mm. Um, and, and Hastings' defense of this is the phrase geographical morality. Mm. Uh, and Burke finds that unconvincing. Mm. 
Why? Because he thinks we're all human. Mm. And that's and that's exactly it. There's something important about the ordering of yes, of those yes, identities yes. because they they end from the local to the human, and that comes back to Rorty's point again. You know, it's trying to these are but vocabularies through which we are trying to see the face of God. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, Rorty wouldn't use that phrase. That's Gandhi's yes, phrase. But yes, yes, Rorty would yes. say that human face. Yes. Um. So I think I think it's just interesting because. To tie it up for this conversation, it's been an incredibly interesting and fascinating conversation. And I'm so honored to have been able to speak with you. But I think what I've personally taken away from your work, Uday, is, is to, ask, to ask the ethical question in the midst of politics mm-hmm. in the dense medium is to always come to political action with a view of one's own moral integrity yes. at the forefront. And yes. That's a very interesting maneuver because these thinkers, these leaders refuse to cede the terrain to the political vocabulary alone. They refused to see themselves as anything but moral, as anything but a constant work in the project of self-knowledge. And uh, that is a way of reading Edmund Burke and Mahatma Gandhi, but particularly Edmund Burke, that is extremely rare. And so I'm very grateful for the work you've done on that because it's very much shaped the way that I see him as a thinker who is far more than the alleged founder of, of modern conservatism. He, he's something far more. Yeah. yeah. As, as I, David, I, yeah, yeah. I, I like your term conservation. Yeah. Uh, as distinct from conservative. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and, and that's a term that unifies Gandhi and Burke. Because it's about moral integrity. It's about how do I draw my own scripture to, to bind up the nation's wounds or the person's. Yeah. So thank you so much, Uday, for, for, for coming on. And it's been an amazing conversation. And I look forward to engaging with more of your work and, and reading the book on Gandhi when it comes out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so I've much. enjoyed this very much. Thank you. <laughs>